Hi, everybody. My name is Ben Ford. I'm the developer advocate here at Puppet. I'm here with George Panzik. He's in the envious position of having formal computer science training and also many years of kind of boots on the ground sort of ops experience. And he's here to talk to us about how those two things relate to one another. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you'll be talking about? Sure. Uh, my name is George Panzik. I have a master's of science in computer science with a focus in software engineering and also over a decade's experience in uh, everything from uh, performance analysis to handing out flashlights instead of fixing light bulbs. Uh, I've worked on ZOS mainframes, uh, Windows systems, Linux systems, and automating the same. So uh, I've seen a lot of things. Kind of what we're going to talk about today is a topic that's near and dear to my heart is I had a lot of good mentors when I was new who mm -hmm. had been around since the 70s, uh, back in the so days when they were still using punch cards. So I learned that there's a lot that we can uh, pick up from people who have been there and done that before us. That's a, a big thing. Uh, we should ask questions like, uh, what worked for them? And why did that work? Because if we get to the why, we can look for patterns that we can incorporate today. Right. If we, if we look at, at how uh, past people solved problems, when we see uh, problems that are similar and maybe not the, the specifics of, of the same thing that they're working on, but the same kind of patterns, then we can learn from how they solve those problems and we can move forward with our own solutions that you know, take from that. So how, how do you think that that's something uh, that'll affect the way that people write their puppet code today? Well, so it, it's really easy to naively just dump thousands and thousands of lines into a site.pp file. Mm. That's really hard to maintain because if you make one change anywhere, you might have to make a change everywhere. So Dr. Parnas, back in 1972, wrote a paper on data encapsulation and information hiding that I think uh, we can learn from and incorporate into our puppet code. So this is something that's been around and it, it's been evolving for years and years and years. Could you tell us a little bit about that story? Sure. Uh, big thing to remember is none of this is new. I mean, Parnas wrote his paper 46 years ago. Uh, he used an example of what he called the quick algorithm for keyword in context. Just at a, at a high level, and if you want the gory details, you can go read the paper uh, from the ACM. But it would take a sentence, uh, print out the sentence in full, and then it would rotate the first word to the end, shift everything, and then print out that next sentence. Shift, print, shift, print, shift, print. Pretty simple algorithm. I'm sure it was a little bit more complex without all of the libraries we have today. Well, there were no libraries back in the day. Uh, he wrote pseudocode, which smacks very strongly of like PL1 or assembler. Uh, so his, he actually shows three different implementations of that, that program, uh, including a naive like top-down writing nested loops to, to do the parsing of each sentence, figuring out what's a space, what's a comma. So like the, uh, the spaghetti code inside PP sort of example. Exactly. And he showed why that really doesn't work. He showed kind of an intermediate solution, but the final solution he, he presented, he called encapsulation, where you basically, if you think about this program, there's really three parts of it. There's the parser, there's the rotator, 
and there's the printer. So in the naive solution, those are all just kind of jumbled together and you're doing printing as you go. Uh, so any one part of the program could wind up messing with the output stream, which could wind up breaking the whole thing. Right. Um, and remember, this was 72, so we're talking about uh, entire address spaces. So what, it was, uh, what he showed was uh, encapsulating the parser, which would only have access to the input stream, the rotator that would just take an intermediate sentence, some string of bytes, figure out what a word boundary was, and manipulate the string. And then you had an output parser or output printer that was the only thing that could uh, that could touch output. So these are things that you might call like functions today, or even maybe component modules. Right, and that's what's really beautiful about this concept is this is what gave rise to objects and methods, uh, the interface concept, which became contracts. These are all very similar ideas which come from pretty much the same place. The good interfaces make good code. The idea is you take all the parts that could change. So in Quick's example, uh, if we wanted to change what a word boundary was, uh, if you go with a naive solution and just go by spaces, uh, commas, periods are themselves words. And so you could wind up with a period at the beginning of a sentence. Well, that's not useful. Right, so, and so you'd want to like be able to, to iterate and fix what, uh, what these things are without breaking other parts of the code. Right, and the output function, if you will, shouldn't have to worry about that. No. Uh, so what is important to get with encapsulation is it allows you to just focus on the couple of things that you need to worry about. Uh, uh, I call it ignoring things for fun and profit. <laughs> it lets you be good at one thing. And or, kinda... Yeah, or, or, or like they, they say, you know, that uh, good fences make good neighbors. Or, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and this is why I like metaphors, because it's the same concept, but verbal. We, we use stuff. So the other thing that, that encapsulation does for you is uh, you stop thinking about the implementation. How does this thing that uh, I'm trying to get done work? And you just focus on what effect do I want to have? So just as with the function, it's an interface. If I feed it a certain set of parameters, I should expect certain behaviors. And it's a black box. I don't know what kind of internal variables it uses. I don't know what syscalls it makes. And I don't have to care. It can change them at whim. Coincidentally, that's a lot about how, how like Puppet itself works. You declare a resource. You don't have to care about file open, file write, and all of that. It does it for you. Exactly. Uh, the, uh, the, the way it works with Puppet is what, what uh, Adrian Thibo called in SysAdvent uh, configuration as Legos, which kind of led into roles and profiles. The idea is that if I'm defining uh, a server as a role, they should never have anything but include statements, period. Right. If, if you're doing that, you're getting too deep in the weeds. Roles include profiles. Profiles 
should just define the resource, mo uh, the module resources that they need. From a pure standpoint, <laughs> if you have a file or an exec in a profile, you're doing it wrong. Definitely. I mean, that's academically pure, so we'll have deadlines, I understand. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the modules then do all the nitty-gritty of defining users, defining files, uh, execing different install commands, dealing with yum repos, and all that stuff. The beautiful thing about that model is if, let's say I'm a manager, and for whatever silly reason, I am dealing with roles. Managers shouldn't always have their hands in code, but for those of us, it, those who do. It happens. Yeah. Um, they should be able to find out, based on what profiles are included, this is what this role server will do. It's almost self-documenting, in a sense. Right. And you don't, have to, you don't have to discern that from all of the files and exec statements and all that stuff that gets hidden by the profiles and by the modules. Uh, it, it puts it right there in front of you. It's, it's as you said, self-documenting. All right. So that kind of gets people away from, you know, by chatting about the implementation details. Exactly. And, and that really lets you free up your mind and your concentration to do the one thing you're supposed to do well, like, like a good Unix programmer. Perfect. So since you can not have to worry about the implementation, you can you focus on the effect of what you're trying to do. And focusing on the desired outcome, that lets you actually write tests and mocks. Because if I don't care what the result of your function is, I can pretend it can be whatever I want to see. Uh, this lets you write good tests. It requires that you put trust into other parts of the program. Mm -hmm. If you don't trust, you might as well write it yourself. And we're all people. We all need to trust each other, whether we're managers or, uh, or other professionals. Have you read Martin Fowler? Yes. Uh, I, I will say I've been influenced quite heavily by some of his uh, refactoring books. Uh, he, I highly recommend them in whatever language you want to go look them up. Uh, he gives examples of how to, for instance, extract method, which is it takes a, uh, a common chunk of code, you wrap some tests around it, and then you actually pull it out and put it into a separate definition. It's a really good practice for, uh, for simplifying and refactoring your code. What do you think you would say is kind of like the, the moral of the story here? So um, <laughs> I, I guess my, my DevOps fables moral for the day is don't ask questions you're not prepared to have answered and trust those who are doing work that you don't want to do yourself. We have all these complex systems that when you build up all this trust, um, none of us have time to re-implement all of standard C every, every time we write a program. Or even just standard lib. Right. Uh, it, it, or rewrite our operating system to schedule processors. It, that's we have to trust that those things are done. For sure, you totally want to like group everything to, together. Group the the, uh, the modules you write into the component modules and and uh, write profiles to group those together. Nobody wants to write spaghetti code. That's nothing to be proud of. So, what would you do? Like, what advice would you give uh, puppet module authors? How would you apply this directly to uh, how people are working? So, this is where we get the benefits of uh, Adrian Thibault's Lego concept and roles and profiles is really harden those boundaries between things. If you are writing a role, only write the role. 
you're writing a profile, only write the profile. Like, would you would you suggest like totally separating yourselves uh, away from that, so you don't you're not even involved with the implementation of that? In an ideal sense, yeah. I mean, uh, from if I were just spitballing an org chart, uh, the role authors would be more of your your business uh, analysts who are talking to the business and figuring out what do we need to meet the need. Your solutions architects, that that nice high level where nobody actually does any work. Uh, I say that as a solutions architect. <laughs> <laughs> your profiles would be uh, kind of your mid-level folks who are actually taking, okay, you want me to set up Apache or Nginx or SQL Server. And here are the things I need to do to make those things functional. Finally, you would have your most senior people, your, your real uh, Morlocks down in the depths, writing the, the guts of the modules to actually do the thing. But now in, in a kind of a more real-world implementation ha, uh, where you don't have that luxury of being separated, where the people writing the profiles often are also writing component modules, how do you keep yourself like in that mindset of, right now I'm writing a profile, tomorrow I'll write a, a, a component module, or the other way around? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, it takes some self-discipline and a whole lot of self-deception. <laughs> <laughs> and when, um, when I figured out what you know, it's... <laughs> we'll, we'll have you back to, to talk about that next time then. Sure. <laughs> uh, kind of a, a real way to implement some of this is, like I said, harden the boundary around what a thing does. Define your interfaces and document. These are the methods that I expose. These are the options that I can accept. And if anybody tries to get cute with that, throw an error. Uh, and it goes the other way too, because if you have behavior that is uh, either undocumented, or the documentation says, if you call me, you call it this way, it'll do this, and it doesn't, mm -hmm. or it does something else entirely, that's a bug. I, I take a little broader definition of bug, and I know it's a little controversial, but any undocumented behavior or behavior that is different from the documentation is a bug. Do you uh, use uh, puppet strings to make this documentation, or are you talking about like writing manual uh, 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 user docs for it? That is really up to however you want to implement it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, use the, the old uh, academic defense and say, this is just the idea. Implementation is something else. Another really good way of kind of carving these things up is, I'm going to take a, a page from 1980s Lean here, is, is map your value flow. Identify each section of your process and, the, and group the things that affect or change the same things. Those become a capsule, a module. Uh, now it's going to require you to be able to understand what a business process is and how to express that in code. Uh, none of this is new. This is 1980s lean on top of 1980s ITIL. It's a new way of looking at the same old lessons that we've been learning. Exactly. And we're keeping the stuff that works, adjusting it where it doesn't quite fit, and we're throwing away the things that don't. Right on. Do you have like any closing thoughts or anything here? Yes, and this is a, a big one. Uh, I encourage everybody to learn from the past. Uh, nothing is ever new. 
go find the gray hair in your office who's been doing this for 40 years. Uh, talk, him, you know, talk to him about the good old days. And try to understand why what they did back then worked and what you can learn to do today. Someday we're all going to be the gray beards. It happens. I've, I'm doing them myself. <laughs> well, that sounds like a very good lesson to take from this. Thanks for sharing, George. Yep. And always remember, uh, if it doesn't work right, fix it. 